At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. All right. As promised, we are going to get started on our Eastern Conference offseason regrades from 2022. And the way I tried to do this was to just, I didn't have my grades from last year in front of me. And so I tried to just go completely fresh based on what we have now, which I think is a better way to do it because you are probably going to get anchored by what you did earlier. Uh, And so I think there are going to be some very interesting revisions. I I re-listened to our show from last year too. There's a few, few rather uh, horrific things. I I mean, which I, you know, whatever I defend the thinking at the time, but it was clearly wrong uh, on these. So uh, Danny, I think this will be a really entertaining one to start at the bottom of the alphabet with the Washington Wizards. Oh boy. Um, So the Washington Wizards had a number of big decisions. To me, the two biggest were, uh, the three biggest. Um, Number one, Bradley Beal was an unrestricted free agent. They not only gave him a five-year full or four plus one full max contract, but they also gave him a no trade clause. And that last part is, of course, what is looming large now because we said it, you know, largely at the time that the one of the challenges of a no trade clause is that it limits the current team, the trading team in the circumstance that that's what you want to do. It limits their return. And boy, did it. Yeah. And what we said at the time, which I think was entirely correct, this wasn't uh, it became what we later termed uh, an iceberg contract right as i mm-hmm. i came up with that for the offseason grades uh, talking about jeremy grant of like hey the part above the water line that you can see like this year this current year is he's, he's apparently worth it and they did get like actual stuff for him they basically just got expiring contracts and they still got every second and every swap basically that phoenix could provide but however they traded him to a team that didn't have a first round pick because of the no trade clause and it just again maybe this was like he would have tried to find something else last offseason but he even said in an interview i can't remember that this was was relatively soon after the fact that he didn't really have anywhere else to go mm-hmm. at the time and so ted leonsis there was reporting afterwards like oh he really he's a part it's a partnership with him and his players he bragged about the no trade clause because it showed like how he and his stars are on the same page. And then when they actually finally got religion this year, it was obvious that uh, they couldn't get the maximum return for Bill. I don't know that there was like something massive out there for him. 
uh, particularly not without taking back bad money. But in the end, they had to trade him to a team that literally gave up all their assets that really mattered in the KD trade. And so, yeah, the no trade clause sunk them. The like we weren't down on the actual contract to be like that was one that we felt would be tradable. And it still was for positive values. Better to have him on the team than not. Although you could also say maybe they should have just started the rebuild a year earlier, right? Like that's something else they could have done is just let him go or try sure. to sign and trade him at that time. Uh, and hey, you know, the 2023 draft is looking pretty awesome, at least at the top. And maybe they could have got in on that ex- instead of uh, chasing the eighth seed. I think the, and, and we could talk about some of the other stuff they did too, but the ultimate result was what I said on the pod was you like tactically that they generally do pretty well or that they bought a really nice car to just drive it in the wrong direction. You know, there are just all these analogies of like, yeah, you know, like in isolation, if they want to get like incrementally better in a given year, they could, they did some good things. And yet they were just <laughs> like, this is the off season that got Tommy Shepard fired. It is. And I mean, another kind of way to think about it is the wizards were trying to be good, especially like in the off season part. And they still had the eighth worst record in the league. And that's with Kristaps Porzingis having an all NBA caliber season. And they, still you know he was healthier than he's really ever been and this team still you know they had other absences but i mean almost every team does and then another one of those failures that got tommy shepherd fired was drafting johnny davis at number 10 davis was not somebody that we scouted and at this point we had been to summer league and been like oh he's not good i i had a line in our summer league breakdown that i i when i saw him the first time i didn't think he was a first round pick i stand by that you know like that the his first full season in the nba and there are lots of guys who defy our summer league expectations in positive and negative ways. And Johnny Davis was unfortunately not one of those players. And it actually, I would argue that the Davis pick looks even worse in time, not only because Davis had a rough first year, but because Jalen Williams, Ushman Jang, and to a lesser extent, Jalen Duran and Abaji had strong seasons. And so it's the, you know, draft, draft reevaluation is not only about who you took, it's about who you could have realistically taken. Sure. I mean, the next four, but Jalen Durland was was part of that too. Even Mark Williams, like the next five picks, I would have, I mean, you have to go pretty far down before you find someone I would have uh, rather had Johnny Davis over. And I think it probably starts in the second round, quite frankly. So uh, yeah, I mean, and if if Tommy, and Tommy Shepard, I think ultimately his draft record is what sunk him in the end. And this is the worst of any of those picks. And so, yeah, if he drafts Jalen Williams, he probably still has a job. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, uh, I mean, maybe even if he drafts Usman Jane, he he still has a job. Uh, But to just have, take the worst pick of the first round at number 10, probably pretty, pretty rough. I mean, I would have to really go through it down at the end to see whether I think that or not, but it's, uh, it's up there. The fact that it's a conversation tells you all you need to know. And then, you know, the trade that they made to get Monte Morris and Will Barton for KCP and Ish Smith, the Nuggets correctly figured out that Will Barton was done. The Wizards and us did not figure that out. Barton was, in theory, more of a three than they had had. Uh, KCP was playing at the same position as Bradley Beal, but still putting him at the three, he would have been better than anyone that they had at the three last year. They could have moved uh, Kyle Kuzma to the four. Uh, so that trade was pretty good, it seemed, at the time to get Morris. You know, he didn't really make a huge impact. Uh, DeLon Wright was probably a little bit better than him. That was actually a pretty good free agent signing at two years, 16 million. Mm-hmm. But 
so that trade, I think we kind of liked at the time. That was what kept me at a D minus at the time rather than a straight up. But that trade actually doesn't look great now either. Uh, yeah. So I, I yeah. would say, I would say that the, it's why we evaluate these from each side separately. It's a better trade for the Nuggets than it is a bad trade for the Wizards, but it's still you know, not, not great for them. And Monte Morris didn't solve all of the Wizards offensive stuff. And then I don't factor this in too much because there's additional context, but like they also, the Monte Morris, they have since traded and they only only got a single second round pick for him so the idea that Morris was gonna like hold his value or make a huge difference to the Wizards you know it, it, that part factors in a little bit but KCP was fantastic for Denver and that, that counts a little bit too maybe this offseason deserves an A because it was so bad that it finally convinced Ted Leonsis that he needed to rebuild if they <laughs> <It> finally had, <laughs> so if they this will come up with another team that I actually struggled with that basic concept um but if they had ended up getting a high enough pick you could make a weird argument for it but it didn't it didn't fully break the you know it broke the fever at a pretty significant cost so i went from a d before to an f minus now yeah i I mean i guess i thought the delon Wright signing was okay so i just went for a straight up i had i had had a d minus before back in those crazy days when i actually would have lower grades than you every once in a while apparently those days are over but uh Uh, we'll see yeah so so the (laughs) the toronto raptors are an interesting one and i yeah like you i look through every sign and I try to do as much as I can before I look at because I do not only a grade but a write-up and so it's really fun to read the write-ups in passing and so I'll actually start there because I read it afterwards but I, my my first line in that was the status quo continues with an, with an exclamation point and that was because Masai Ujiri you know they didn't have a first round pick they um they drafted Christian Coloco we'll talk about that but then the other moves were more about retentions than high profile additions so they Resigned Chris Boucher, three years, thirty-five million. Thaddeus Young, who they had previously acquired, uh, two years, sixteen million, but only a million of that second year was was guaranteed. Then they brought in Otto Porter, who had just come off a championship with the Golden State Warriors, two years, twelve million player option, so one plus one, and then some minimum guys. And so, you know, you're com- coming off that Raptors year and you're like, well, they have a lot of good players. They could they can make a lot work. And part of the story with the Raptors is a lot of those signings, both due to just theory, but also fate like Otto Porter, you know, like that that worked out very poorly. Part of that is not to blame for the Raptors, but part of it is. But it is also part of this about is a reevaluation to an extent. I don't I don't think this all has factor in it. Well, it's the moves they didn't make as well that are at least a slight factor in the grade too. Yeah, what stands out is the moves they didn't make. It's more that they kept everything together regarding Van Vliet, Siakam, Gary Trent Jr., OG and Nobi, because they could have theoretically traded any or all of those players. And we don't we, you know, we we've reevaluated that a little bit at the deadline, and they've claimed that there weren't offers there for Van Vliet. So I'm not saying that's like the biggest thing for me. It's hard, it's hard to say that, especially because I had a belief that the Raptors were going to be good enough to like not miss it, maybe like win to make the conference finals, but like when you know make some noise they're very strong defensive foundation and we're wondering what scotty barnes is going to be so the like the full aggressive sell down like it probably would have been better knowing what we know now especially with van 
complete gone and no competition gained there. And then they burned a first round pick to get Yakupertal and everything else. So that, of course, does not factor in the grades. That was a deadline move. So I wanted to ask you, like, how much do you factor that in? Like, the, the Raptors would be in a better place if they were willing to sell off a year ago, but it wasn't an obvious choice to do so. No, I, I think where they screwed that up was at the trade deadline, not hey. moving Van Vliet, tra- trading for Pirtle, uh I mean, not thinking about moving Siakam or Ananobi really seriously, it, se- it seems like. Uh, so, you know, their trade deadline was an F-, but I don't think it was like I thought actually at this time they had that loss which is a little bit disappointing to the Sixers they didn't play that well in that series but Barnes got hurt right at the beginning Van Vliet got hurt at the end they got blown out of that game six uh and but it seemed like hey there's they still got a really good coach and Nick Nurse who was his he hadn't coached well in the playoffs but it looked like he was he had gotten this team back into being relevant they were the sixth seed looked like they could be on the rise so all these guys were at least good enough to stay the same or in the case of Barnes maybe get a lot better so I thought it did make sense to try to supplement that group and Otto Porter it was a very weak reagent class as it always is these days but Otto Porter in theory could have helped them it just he wasn't healthy and that was a concern but that's also part of why he came relatively cheaply and Young they had just traded for so he didn't end up figuring Boucher he's like it's okay you know it seems like maybe a little bit of an overpay there but that's that's fine they wanted to keep him what I thought they actually and of course you know those didn't work out right like if they don't have Boucher and Otto Porter are they not so worried about the tax that they actually could have re-signed Van Fleet and then this offseason wouldn't have been such a disaster like so there's a little bit of that there but those like I think they were it was understandable that they tried to supplement this group and, and see if they could get back any contention in the east with some growth from Barnes and maybe another trade but then what I actually thought they should have done and who knows I mean it's crazy to think about this there's gonna be so much talk about this going forward in this offseason the Kyrie KD saga you know at this point we did these grades a year oh, ago yeah and I gave them a, a C plus you know at that time because like all right you kind of kept it together you supplemented with one one more piece uh you know we weren't talking about like oh yeah they should trade away some of these guys at the time like they had just taken a real step forward it looked like 2021 was the operation of this group so it was oh yeah absolutely no way we could ever possibly put scotty barnes in the deal well if you go back and look at it now again maybe katie didn't want to come there maybe even if they had offered scotty barnes the and i wouldn't have wanted to go beyond that really uh then maybe the nets would have said no uh who knows about that? Because that, that's what I said my offer would have been like basically Scotty Barnes and contract spotter to the best you could do, you know, Gary Trent and not Ananobi, not Siakam. I would have offered Siakam just straight up for KD. I doubt that the, the Nets would have done that. So there's no indication that they ever made any kind of a serious offer for KD. Barnes didn't really develop as much. I think like if you imagine if they had traded Barnes for KD, like that would look like fantastic right now, right? Mm-hmm. So and maybe they would have been like a, a real threat uh, last year and, you know, Nick Nurse would still be there and who knows what, what could have changed so uh but other than that i mean i don't really downgrade them that much like yeah okay the porter sign didn't work out boucher he's, he's eh. you know the, the minimum guys hernan gomez and mihalio uh who exercised the player option like i guess that so that wasn't really them uh didn't work out so you know i would go from like a c plus to like maybe a c minus at this point and then maybe a d plus for not at least exploring the kd thing more thoroughly uh so that's about where i would be i i blame the the trade deadline more for their present predict than this offseason. I do too. Um, I went from B minus to a D plus, and the KD part of it is a is a very astute argument, and it's something we talked about at the time. It's not something that you know like is is adding it in now. And I don't blame them as much for a lot of the things not working out. Otto Porter, an injury prone player, having worse injuries than we expected, is you know so that's 
like it's a worse version and i think in some ways thaddeus young was the same thing like it went worse than i expected but it wasn't like beyond the pay you know like i mean it and i don't actually significantly downgrade that stuff too much in boucher like he got backup big money and he's looking more like a backup big than a starter big right now okay and then coloco at 33 I like some of the guys drafted after him more now, but I'm fine with like a totally reasonable pick. And like, if you also evaluate Coloco relative to like the average early second, like I think he's done pretty well. So like he's interesting, you know, looks like he could be in rotation. So I'm mostly fine with that. So this is like, it's a more severe drop than you could argue each of these individual moves works, but you know, we're, we have a greater context to evaluate. Man, it is crazy to think that I've been working with Helix Sleep since 2015. And I think that's because my story with them seems to really resonate with listeners. If you've never heard it before, that was kind of the beginning of the direct-to-consumer boom. And there was another very prominent mattress company at that time that was trying to convince you that mattresses were one-size-fits-all. They found the one formula, the one mattress that was going to work for everyone. My then-girlfriend, now-wife, and I ordered that mattress. We ended up having to return it because, hey, guess what? Not everyone is the same. And then she did some more research and found Helix Sleep. We took their sleep quiz and we found a mattress that actually worked for us and our body types. And uh, Helix offers 20 unique mattresses. Everybody sleeps differently. And Helix mattresses are designed for specific sleep positions and field preferences, hot or cold, side sleeper, back sleeper. So take that Helix sleep quiz, find your perfect mattress in under two minutes, and it's shipped straight to your door, free of charge. It's no risk because you really need to sleep on the mattress in your own home. You're like, well, how should I order this if I can't sleep? I'm like, yeah, you're not going to learn anything by going to the mattress store and sleeping on the mattress where do I take my shoes off? Do I leave my shoes on? But then my feet kind of hang off the bed because I don't want to put my shoes on the bed. And is it weird that I'm laying here for more than 30 seconds? You can't tell anything under those circumstances. You might as well just order it, get it sent to your house, get that 100 night trial they're 10 to 15 year warranty depending on the model and there's never been a better time to try a helix sleep mattress because they are offering 20 percent off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners at helixsleep.com slash capspace easier slash capspace we talk about all the time here on the program that's helixsleep.com slash capspace this is their best offer yet i can attest to that since i've been working with them for nine years and it won't last long with helix better sleep starts now don't forget that slash capspace url to let them know that you came from us man i just love american giant just an amazing clothing company i was reminded again of how much i love it when i drove from california to montana over the all-star break and you know what it's like when you're on a long road trip and it's cold particularly when it starts off warm in the bay and then we get into some really cold areas you're like well i don't want to wear like my jacket in the car but then i get out to fill gas I'm going to be freezing, but the American Giant hoodie was perfect because despite being made out of a nice heavy material that'll keep you warm, it's not too hot as well. So I was able to wear it in the car, not be too hot, step out of the car and still be warm enough when I was filling up gas or going into a restaurant or something that I didn't feel like I needed my jacket, even when it was cold outside. These things are amazingly durable. I proposed to my wife wearing an American Giant hoodie in the Grand Canyon almost seven years ago. I still own that same hoodie. I still wear it constantly. And American Giant has since 
spread out into all sorts uh, of other types of clothing like their premium slub crew tee the no bs high-rise pant the slim roughneck pant featured in giant magazine issue two every american giant piece is made in america and designed to last no exceptions and it provides year-round comfort so find a closet staple for every part of your spring days at american-giant.com and get 20 percent off your first order when you use that finger code capspace at checkout you remember we talk about capspace all the time here on the program that's 20 percent off your first order at american-giant.com don't forget that cap space code to let them know you came from us the sixers this is another totally crazy one and i think actually this is one where it makes sense to go back and look at what we thought at the time i gave them a straight a they had limited resources they got james harden to opt out of the player option and reduce his salary by enough that they could bring in pj tucker which i really liked three years 33 million player option there i really like daniel house he didn't really figure that was one thing that that looks a little bit worse and uh they let uh, doc river security blanket deandre jordan go although then they signed mantras Carol, which was not amazing this that was actually after i believe we did these grades it was and uh so that was a one plus one at the minimum Harrell actually just tore his acl but he probably wasn't going to figure anyway they just re-signed him because it knocked his cap number down a little bit and got him a little bit more money so it's kind of a win-win i didn't they said they're not going to waive him that you know he could be useful as like a just an easy trade candidate to equalize roster spots if they make a move so and that wasn't great you know they they could have just not used that roster spot on Harrell kept isaiah joe instead who ended up getting waiver claimed by the thunder and actually being pretty good like they, they maybe could have used him you know since for kind cork Maz didn't work out for them they could have used maybe one more shooter guy uh to maybe set some screens for james harden or or tyrese maxi although it's, it was harder for them to play joe than it would have been obviously for okc but still he's better than harrell and they could have just played paul reed who is better than harrell and was at the time uh so yeah i mean and ultimately i think like these moves worked pretty well uh you know, they i didn't think i mean i guess the the supporting cast missed a bunch of threes in game six and then of course in game seven too but ultimately i think it was just that joel and bean and james harden didn't play well enough in those last two games and really that was the way i characterized i said they put enough around those guys that if they don't deliver it's on them rather than the supporting cast i think that largely proved true and that was the best they could do they weren't going to trade james harden or joel and last summer they got the anthony melton for no, the number 23 pick that's the other one i forgot and danny green that looks like a fantastic deal uh melton's gonna be a stalwart for them again this year he's only making eight million so how much though i would ask is what has now occurred with james harden factor into this for you if at all it does factor in but i'm not sure it factors in as negatively for me as it would as it would for other people because so, so the way i asked it was would the sixers be in a better place if they had inked harden to a longer deal even if it meant losing pj tucker and so let's say that ends up being a four-year deal at a higher number then you're locked into a worse roster it if harden demanded out still the way that he did and and you know that is his proclivity at times you know like harden has has made his way like he still would have done so and it i don't think it would have necessarily been harder to move him in some ways it's easier now because it's an ex- a functionally expiring contract and it allows the sixers to pivot in a way that is i think more palatable now than it would have been before and it's at a lower number annually which is which is also easier and you have this better talent around and so like if you end up trading james harden first of all they're gonna they might try to keep him we'll have to see we don't know for sure but you have 
BJ Tucker, who I think his contract is aged reasonably, reasonably well. And then, so yeah, so we narrow it to like that is the choice, and you could add in Daniel House, but he hasn't mattered as much as we hoped he would. So I actually went all the way down from an A to an A minus with this offseason. I think that there are <laughs> plenty of things wrong with the Sixers, but I don't think that these moves or the macro sense of it were what happened. Yeah. Now, I thought a little interesting color just came out here. Uh, Mike Scotto on his uh, Great Hoops Hype podcast was talking to Keith Pompey and Scotto said to his understanding, the best the Sixers would have considered was something along the lines of a two-year deal with a team option and that that sort of short-term commitment wasn't going to appeal to Harden. I mean, maybe that would have been a raise to up closer than the max, but it seems like, again, that's an indication that the plan, I don't know if it always was, but at least uh, after these playoffs is, well, they want to have some wiggle room with this free agency in 2024. and They're not going to extend Tyrese Maxey either. And so if that was always going to be the case, I mean, I think the they did i understand why james harden would feel aggrieved in that circumstance that really was the offer now now i mean is that you know first we had oh they didn't communicate an offer at all and like so i don't know what side scotto's reporting is coming from it seems like unlikely that would be coming from the sixers side but if that was the kind of always the plan i mean you know it does seem like they kind of i mean to me harden would have a reasonable expectation that he was going to get paid at least like make up the 13 million that i gave up right Uh, or i guess yeah that's i think it was 11 million that he gave up right his player option was 47 million and then he, he went down to 36 to fit everyone in no i think he went down to like 33 and then his player option was like the max raise of 36 so uh yeah so so it does i mean again maybe it'll be more reporting on this or whatever like but it's i understand why harden is aggrieved on the other hand you could say hey you know they, giving james harden some huge contract right now wouldn't have been good either and that was one of the caveats that i had it's like oh if there was a wink wink to give harden this huge deal then you know this offseason doesn't look as good right so Apparently there wasn't that, that's for sure. Or at least maybe there's only a wink and not a wink wink. (laughs) (laughs) But, but, uh, so I think, you know, they did avoid giving out this super long contract to James Harden. Now they may have completely torpedoed 2024 or 23, 24 now, but they, they still accomplished their goal of being reasonably competitive. Like they just didn't have a team around Harden and beat. They built that and the way they did that was to get Harden to opt out and to bring in PJ Tucker. And he was pretty important what they did. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I guess it doesn't change things that much for me. I, I guess I would just, I would probably go down to maybe like, uh, maybe an a minus, I suppose. I mean, again, considering that they had no real resources when things started and they kind of created some by getting Harden to take less, even if, you know, but if it looks like, Hey, they kind of lied to James Harden and now they're not going to get anyone in 2024 free agency, that could be a consideration too. So we almost still don't know well and so i'm just gonna kind of base it on what happened in 23 and i thought the moves worked for 23 it's the other kind of consideration and is that if we're dealing in a hypothetical where it was more than an outside chance that the sixers knew this was going to be like that, that this was going to be their next offer i do feel a little bit uncomfortable with that uh but I don't know that to be true enough. Like I don't think that's true. I don't expect yeah. it to be. I, I mean, if they, if they, if hard, maybe just Harden, like, all right, well, he had two good games in the playoffs, and so we're gonna, we're, we're not willing to give you that deal anymore, right? Maybe that was because the plan then after. it's like, because then if, if there was no wink whatsoever, and but the player thought that they're, you know, I like, thought you were gonna at least make them whole for the money they they shed. That that's not great business, and that could lead to it. Uh, and I believe at that point, not that this defends it at all. Should that be the case, Harden did not have representation at that point i think he got an agent during this year um but that's still you know like in that hypothetical which i again have said i, I think is well under a 50 chance that's not great business but and and with pro it's 
probable that we'll never know the truth there. So you went to an A minus as well? Yeah, I think so. Uh, I mean, I guess the other component too is what do they get for Harden in this trade if it does happen? Or do they actually get James Harden back in the fold and he plays? Then then it looks better, right? They get about the, the player option that he opted to. So, uh, but as of right now, I'm going to kind of consume assume that Harden is going to have some discontent. They're either going to have to trade him for very little or they're just going to get into another Simmons-like standoff with him, which I think uh, James is a little better equipped to win uh, than Simmons. Yes. So I, I think, you know, I'm kind of looking at 24 as like just going to be a gap year at this point in time. And, and, th- and that if, could be yeah. that could be very damaging for the franchise moving forward. Um, but you can make an argument that it was, you know, if, if they were in less... I guess the argument would be that if if the longer-term deal was already done, like let's say he signed a four-year deal last year, then this writing couldn't have been on the wall, so thus this current conflict wouldn't have happened, at least not yet. Maybe they would have ended up actually trading him in 24 to open up space and all that. But that that's a, So so maybe the, the storm clouds would have waited at least a year, and maybe they could have gotten out of it cleanly then, but it's hard to know that. Yeah, and maybe with respect to Harden, this is actually still the best outcome that they could have gotten, even if he was pissed off this year to have got him on that one your deal and then he opts in now you can get a little something for him in trade he's he's unextendable so you avoid that terrible contract oh, one one quick you know? note on that um as i've been looking through it the idea that harden it sounds like he kind of opted in blind for a trip like the without a line of trade that is a really wild thing i understand it from a financial standpoint for him but the idea that you're gonna basically do that to try to facilitate a trade that that as far as i may have known he didn't fully like plan out with the sixers like, I don't think we fully appreciated how unusual that is. Not that that's a part of the offseason grade too, too much. Yeah. I and mean, we've seen a few of these wink winks turn into single winks, like Serge Ibaka with the Clippers, for example, when mm-hmm. he got hurt. So it's not, it, these are not ironclad, which uh, maybe some of them are. But uh, usually if the guy, if something just totally goes differently, it doesn't work out that way. But uh, generally, especially if you uh, play for the Milwaukee Bucks, uh, it works out better. Um, okay, so mo- I moved him down to an A minus. Uh, as did you. The Orlando Magic are next in alphabetical order, and they're, as we expected, the primary evaluation point here is their draft. And when you have number one, that starts with number one. In a, in a year that it was not set who is going to be the first overall pick, and we don't have as much information as we normally would here because number two selection, Chad Holmgren, has not played in a regular season NBA game yet, which is terrible for many reasons. But I do feel better knowing what we know right now, which is incomplete, on Paolo Bancaro as the number one pick that I did before. And I thought at this point a year ago when we did the grades that he was the correct number one pick too. Yeah, I think this one's pretty simple. Like I, I if anything, I would feel a little bit better about Paolo than I did, although I was, we'd seen him in summer league. He was pretty impressive there. And he's got to find a way to be more efficient and improve his jumper. And uh, But defensively, I thought he was a little bit better than expected and you know, certainly a deserving rookie of the year. No one else was in particularly serious contention there. Uh, and Jalen Williams and Walker Kessler had very nice years. I will note that. Yeah. Well, yeah, I I, I didn't particularly seriously consider them for rookie of the year outside outside of Baker. So, yeah, that, that I think was totally the right pick and it was not at all the consensus. I mean, they came out of left field with it. Maybe it was the guy they had all along. Who knows? But you know, there's some thought that it could be Chet. There's some thought that it could be Jabari Smith. So uh, he was not considered a consensus number one like so many others have been over the years. And so, yeah, I think they did the right thing there. It wasn't like the obvious pick. So I give them a little bit more credit. And then in terms of the other stuff they did, uh, I, it's hilarious that I wrote, well, they protected their flexibility for next year, which is what I said in their offseason grades that we just did for 2023. 
<laughs> as well. But yeah, you know, they bring back Gary Harris, getting the second year non guaranteed, uh, getting him uh, in the low teens for a couple of years was pretty good. Mobamba. They didn't have anything else to do with that money. They ended up, what did they trade him for, like a second or something? And Patrick Beverly was in that. Beverly was in yeah, that deal, Be- but that was Beverly, who they waived. Who got waived, yeah. So, so they got a little bit of value for Bamba, but he didn't, you know, it wasn't a long-term deal. They tried to hold on to him. They at least, like, re-signed the guy that they drafted highly, and then you know, they moved on for him. That's fine. Bull Bull, uh, we thought would have actually been a nice signing, and then they just waived him. So there must have been some stuff behind the scenes there. And Caleb Houston at number 32, he's seems about fine there i mean he's, he's got a chance still i don't love him but he's got some size that can shoot so i think there's there's still a, a decent chance of him turning into a a good pick but doesn't you know he hasn't like clearly come through at the, at this point in time but he's a young, young player so i think i'll just stick with that b plus that i had I had an A minus. I'm staying at an A minus. And for me, I give them more credit, I think, than you do for for taking Bancaro number one. Like this was not open. This was this was wide open. It was not said at all. And it's the most important thing for their franchise. It's one of the most important things for any franchise in this offseason. But because it wasn't a, I'm not a hundred percent sure that it was the right decision. You know, we haven't seen Chet at all and everything else. Like I can't go with the straight A. And because like you know, like the other big things, you know, Caleb Houston, I'm fine with him, but I'm not like loving that pick. I mean, there's a lot of guys in that early first that are having pretty good starts and I like Gary Harris but then you know we, Mobamba was more of a like roll of the dice and the roll didn't work out perfectly and then you know I would say they got less from Bull Bull than I expected they in fact got more from Bull Bull than I expected but then whatever happened happened so yeah I, I their offseason they did very little business and then the other part of it why it's an A- minus is like what I, I didn't delve too deeply into the path not taken but like they're still looking for that lead initiator and so like you know kind of rolling their space over one year well they then ended up rolling it over again so they still have these flaws that they need to solve and they were in that kind of weird boat where it was they were good enough and if they had been a little healthier i think they would have had an even worse pick so they haven't solved the big problems yet but palo bancaro is a big part of the solution overall well and i would say that retaining gary harris is far better than anything they could have done with the their cap space so uh and they still have plenty of flexibility going forward i would rather just keep rolling it over than sign bad contracts especially for a team in, in their position well and, uh, and so, like we could yeah. say what about jalen brunson but like we don't know if jalen brunson was truly available to a team like the magic uh well no i i, I mean I, and well actually coincidentally the knicks uh are next and and we'll start with the brunson move and that that was one that Actually, we liked the contract fine. At least I did. Uh, four years, hundred four million with the player option descending. Uh, they did a bunch of stuff, which we'll get to to create the space for him. But ultimately, as good as he was, it doesn't matter what they had to do. I had some skepticism of how good Brunson could be outside of that five out Dallas system that he thrived in so much in the playoffs. And I thought these Knicks are going to have no spacing. I didn't like Brunson's fit with Randall and with Barrett. And as it turned out, Brunson was so good, it didn't matter that that fit isn't amazing that they can't play like great spread pick and roll and Brunson was when he was healthy in the playoffs he was phenomenal there too uh and well and I want to give you a reason to go that I like was even higher on it is that Brunson was has been so good that it takes the pressure off of Barrett and Randall to a sense that you could even move one of those players if you wanted to because you already have this big piece solved and theoretically the Knicks still have the ammunition 
commission for a star acquisition in the future. Now you don't have to use that to get a initiator or primary ball handler. If you don't want to, you can have multiple, lots of teams do, but you could use that for, you know, like a Joel Embiid, theoretically, were he to become available and not think that your offense is going to go in the tank because Jalen Brunson's awesome. I mean, this was the easily the best free agent signing since 2019 by anybody. That, that in and of itself is probably worth a, a straight A. And then some of the other stuff they did, you know, it's uh, yeah. I, I a went mixed with bag. I I, I yeah. moved up from a B plus to an A minus. Not from my previous grade that was much lower. We'll talk about that in a second. To an A minus because I I I'm still queasy about how they you know the Knicks. We forget this a little bit now. But they what you're saying, you, you, the the reason that you're not a straight A, straight A, that you're, you're only is an A that minus they, is because of this. Because yes, part of it went to Brunson, but they traded two lottery picks. Yes, they were late lottery, eleven and thirteen, but they could have done a lot with those selections. Like the, the that part of the draft is looking better. Like theoretically, if they kept eleven and didn't trade that to the Thunder for three future protected picks. They could have taken either Usman Jang or Jalen Williams, either of whom, you know, and that wouldn't have cost them Jalen Brunson or anything else. Now, the overall stuff, because they made those two moves with the Pistons, that we can either, we've still never been clear on whether those are one move or separated or two moves. Like, yeah, I I mean, I think we have to assume that. So, so let's, let me just go through everything that happened first. Sure. Because I think people have forgotten. I, I, I barely remembered all of the exact details okay so and it was also it was very difficult to parse it together on draft night because there's a lot of kind of dueling reporting so these are in theory two separate transactions so they had number they first they traded number 11 who became Usman Jang to the Thunder for three future protected first rounders those three picks were the Nuggets 2023 first rounder which then ended up being number 27 this year and then so uh, they probably the two most hilarious protected picks that are out there other than maybe the Blazers a lot of protected pick for the Larry Nance deal but this is the Washington pick from the Russell Westbrook deal which is let will just call it lottery protected ish it declines but it's only I think top nine protected and then the end and then there's also a Pistons first rounder that's out there and has been since the 2020 offseason both these are 2020 offseason that have basically kind of been you know protection slightly declining around in the I guess the Charlotte one is pretty funny too, but uh, the Charlotte was probably more likely to convey than Detroit or Washington. So those are picks that, you know, we thought Detroit could take a step forward. They had the worst record in the league last year. Washington is now officially on this rebuild. So those picks look awful. Like those, I think, are, you know, at best a 50% chance that one of those actually conveys as a first round pick before uh, 2027. You know, maybe, maybe you think Detroit is a little bit better of a chance to get there. Uh, but Washington doesn't seem like they're going to be a playoff team anytime soon. Uh, and also they'll be right around the area where they'll just, you know, pull a maps and tank to protect the pick if they're there. So that just the straight value of that number 11 for those three first, we kind of like that value that they had like t- drafted Usman Jang held the Thunder hostage in theory. Well, the Thunder, I think did way better. And Usman Jang looks pretty good so then after they get those three picks they turn around and trade one of them the denver 2023 which ended up being number 27 this year two and four seconds to the Hornets to get number 13. Remember the Hornets, as we'll talk about later, had 13 and 15. Then they take number 13, add it to Kemba Walker. So they're getting off of Walker, is making like 10 million. They send that to the Pistons for the 2025 Bucks first rounder, which as we'll talk about with the Pistons, they had acquired from Portland. It's just so much of these round robin between those three teams. And it's it's tough to wrap our heads around it again after a year. So I'm sorry this is taking so long, but it is all it is important. So then they also, so that I, th- but they would not have had at that point enough cap space 
for Jalen Brunson. So they, and it's unclear. I mean, maybe they could have traded number 11 to the Pistons, but instead they traded that and then they were able to jump back in and grab number 13 right after that and trade that. And they still have that Bucks first rounder. So maybe that's good. You know, some good Brock Aller machinations there. Ultimately, though, it's it's unclear to me, and maybe you have a thought on this, of whether they could have held on to number 11, drafted Jang or Jalen Williams or so, someone else who would have been really good for them, and then also done the Brunson deal because they also did this thing where they traded Alec Burks and Nerlens Noel and two second rounders and some cash to the Pistons. I guess the Pistons actually wanted Burks, though, which was part of that. So those are, in theory, two separate transactions. How related are they? I don't – I'm going to just assume that they're not or they could, would have all been folded in. Uh, it it might have been a circumstance kind of like – like this is going way back West Matthews with the Mavericks where like there was an alternate path where that second deal wouldn't have happened but the expectation what they they were kind of negotiated together so like that deal for West Matthews was basically like hey if we sign these other guys we'll give you less but if we don't sign them we'll give you more they didn't sign those guys West Matthews ended up on a max right after tearing or near max after tearing his Achilles um so it, yeah it, it is really hard uh, to, to kind of piece all of that together I don't have a fantastic answer and in part the math gets complicated because after that, the Knicks had already negotiated with Mitchell Robinson to basically him to wait out free agency a little bit and then eventually sign this four-year, $60 million deal, which they could only do because he had a minimum cap hold, but they had full bird rights on him so that they could make that happen. And then they were able to get Isaiah Hartenstein, which, you know, two years, $60 million, I was more effusive about then than I am now, but I still like Hartenstein. I, I don't know. I thought, he, I thought he came through as about what they would have thought. He like closed some games. Yeah. He's a, he's a plenty good player. I didn't, you know, again, it's just, I, I, I just remember I was all the way in on Hartenstein. Now I'm most of the way in on Hartenstein. And it's still, still a very positive contract overall. And you could think about those as being connected to that they had the center position filled with those guys. So I, I still wonder if there's a way that they could have kept 11 and kind of like made it all, made it all work. I think they could have, like, I think they negotiated those things separately. If it, if it takes 13 to get Brunson, I'm fine with it, especially because they did pick up some lower level assets in the overall transaction yeah now, but, now i guess you could say though that they i mean hardenstein was eight million i think they could have gotten brunson had they only done the noel and burks dump and not the walker dump uh and then they could at least have held on to 13 in theory but they ended up getting uh, that they also prioritized and we haven't even talked about this aspect yet they also prioritized more getting future first rounders right i think that there's part of them that was like all right having we don't want to drive the new car off the lot with number 13 let's get this Bucks first rounder we'll still have these other two first rounders we can throw those into deals in the future and because remember we assumed when we did these grades that they were going to get Donovan Mitchell Mm -hmm. and now so that's a big part of this too as is the Barrett extension but not doing the Mitchell trade is a big part of this which I think actually was really smart in the end particularly given how good Brunson looked and how bad a fit I think Brunson and Mitchell would have been and now who knows whether maybe they'll just never get the star that's behind door number two and they should have tried to strike on Mitchell and just you know but I still I don't think that Mitchell and Brunson is getting you into like true contention so I I like where they are better having not done the Mitchell deal we kind of assumed they were going to get him that was actually I didn't love that for them at the time so I think not doing the Mitchell deal that raises things I'd say the Barrett extension it's like yeah it's about neutral for me I guess I don't don't Uh, really I mean just so we have it 107 million over four years for RJ Barrett like I will say I'm with some significant incentives here and there yes I'm lower on it than the average person but I also think that it's tradable you know if we use the 
basic question of would you have a team that was interested in RJ Barrett at that price? I think the answer is still yes. Yeah, no, I think that's right. And so it's uh, they thought of putting him in the Mitchell deal, then they decided not to. They decided to have him do the extension and said and he played better in the playoffs after a pretty rough start in the Cleveland series. He actually played better down the end of the Miami series. So he's making incremental progress every year. It's just he's not, you know, is he overrated? Like, yeah, probably. But also with the way the cap is going up, I don't think that that's going to be like a bad contract by the end. Uh, and I think he works hard and he's going to continue to get better. So, yeah, you know, I think where'd you, where do you end up here? I mean, I'm kind of in torn between an A and an A minus, which a would be a, yeah, it'd be a massive increase from the D plus that I had before. I, uh, I gave them a C minus. And, yeah. and I mean, the, the Jalen Brunson move, it looks fantastic in process and result now where it's like, okay, this was the yeah. guy that was actually worth giving that up for. And he worked out beautifully for them and everything everything that kind of flows from yeah. that. I, I hated like the nepotism aspect of it, but uh, yeah, that actually worked out great. <laughs> it did. <laughs> so you can't complain at this point. Uh, Obi Toppin, maybe a little less so, but uh, <laughs> yeah. So so I think, I think it's, got, it's gotta be a straight A ultimately like they and especially because the the number 11 pick thing is is so nebulous and i you know, i think there's a pretty decent chance that it that facilitated getting brunson and opening up the cap space because we thought you know they probably like oh well once we know that brunson wants to sign there they could just sign and trade no they actually needed every bit of that cap space to get brunson and then they got hardenstein as well though I and, and we also cannot be 100 percent sure that the mavericks would have facilitated on a sign and trade for obvious reasons no i, I oh and I, there would have there would have been base share compensation issues too which would have been hard yeah so we are at uh at an a here for me and yeah i mean that brunson moves an a plus and everything else was, was pretty decent including not trading for mitchell i think was really and that took a lot of balls like let's not forget that like they now maybe they always thought they were going to get him anyway and they got out maneuvered but they also like that's just what happens when you negotiate you, oh and, and and i'll note i don't think there was a pathway for them to get kd like i don't I, unless he like had single single-mindedly demanded it i don't think that well, the, the Nets would have never would have never exactly. traded him there anyway. Yeah. So, so I don't demer. I don't give them yeah. a ding at all for that. Whereas for you know a light ding for the Raptors and a few other teams. Anyone who's seen our YouTube videos knows that I don't wear formal stuff all the time. So when it's time to dress up rather than dress down, I highly recommend Inochino. They were the official outfitter of my wedding. I got my tux from there. All my groomsmen got their sport jackets. From there as well, I felt really good about having them be the outfit of my wedding because all of my groomsmen were going to get stuff that they could continue to wear that fit them perfectly. Because when you go somewhere else, you're not going to get something that's made for you. So why not measure yourself in 10 minutes or visit a showroom rather than feeling like you're wearing somebody else's suit that they tried and failed to tailor for you. And not only does Indochino have the suits that made them famous, but now they've got everything. Blazers, pants, women's wear, outerwear, designed and made for you. Hundreds of high quality fabrics to choose from. European wools, linen, cottons, tons of colors, tons of patterns. You can customize things like the lapel, the vents, the pockets. And you'll get a piece that is personalized for you in fit and style. Level up your game with Indochino. Go to Indochino.com. Use the code CAPSPACE. Use the CAPSPACE. We talk all the time here on the program. You get 10% off any purchase of $399 or more. That's 10% off at Indochino. I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O. Indochino.com. And don't forget that CAPSPACE code to let them know that you came from us. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. 
Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. The Milwaukee Bucks. Here's some of the significant things that they did. They took Marjan Bochap, number 24. Bobby Portis uh, got his wink returned for four years, $48.5 million with a player option. Pat Connaughton got his wink returned and then signed a, a three-year extension with a player option for $28 million after he exercised his player option this year. So he actually, that was, that seems like it was all kind of part of it for him to opt in and then get the extension, kind of similar to what Josh Hart is probably going to do this year. They used the full taxman level on Joe Ingles. They brought Jack Javon Carter two years slightly above the minimum i believe it might have been like 120 percent of the minimum because they had signed him i believe off of waivers from and, the, and, and, the previous year and, and it looms large that second year was a player option yes yes so it, it was i think we, we thought at the time it was a team option that was not true and of course then he left uh, as a result of that but i they i don't think they could have gone i don't know that they could have got any yes longer there or that, more money that, that would have been useful in the end but they, they didn't have the bird rights to do that really that will come up in a higher profile player in the western conference where it's like you can't you can't hurt them for something that wasn't realistic for them to do yeah then they brought back west matthews on a one-year minimum deal that was fine Sergi baka that didn't work out and uh thanasis opted into his player option they end up bringing back jordan wara on a two-year deal for about six million um so yeah i, I mean i don't think really any of this like very little that's happened since then has changed my opinion on all this. No, I, I think our general theory of the Bucks 2022 offseason was correct, which was that they were spending a lot of money on guys that were not even necessarily closers for them. I actually like Connaughton better as a closer for them than Bobby Portis. And there is a path not taken for the Bucks. You advocated for it more aggressively at the trade deadline and articulated very well. And I think, and that was using some of their remaining draft assets to go after somebody like, though not necessarily, Bojan Bogdanovich, where somebody who could realistically be a part of their closing group who could give them some offensive juice and not sacrifice their defensive concept. And they could have done that in the offseason as well. And, you know, then you get the player for the whole year. Uh, the other kind yeah, of element. No, I mean, I guess if you look at what Boyan eventually went for from Utah, like, could they have beaten that in terms of the assets? That's like, yeah, they probably could have. Matching salary might have been tough because they wouldn't have had Portis as matching salary. I mean, I think they could have got there with Grayson Allen and Connaughton, although I think they would have wanted to hold on to Connaughton. It would have been tough to do that. And also, Utah actually wanted Kelly Olinick. I don't think they would have wanted anybody coming back. Correct. From from Milwaukee. But again, uh, but, it could have yeah. been somebody, you know, the idea of using using a draft resource. But in many ways, that for the Bucks with their specific constraints, was easier as a deadline thing just because you needed potentially those other players as matching salary and Ingles like remember they gave a they gave a 6.5 million dollar contract to a player who tore his ACL and ended up coming back in the same calendar year which was incredible and Ingles I actually think he was better for the Bucks in the 22-23 season than I expected but yeah, he came back earlier and I thought he looked like you know relatively the same guy uh didn't figure that much in the playoffs but we had, yeah. part of why I downgraded those I thought he'd be useless in the regular season he actually was solid for them yeah and so um and then the other pick that the Bucks could have traded in this window like not it was not only like the kind of the, the, the future thing for Bogdanovich, it was they could have done something with 24. And while the I've talked about how the early second looks strong, the late first does not. And Bochamp at 24, like, he can't be like, oh, you should have taken, you know, like Jalen Williams, who went 10 picks later. Like, that's a lot to ask. 
But, you know, I don't, I'm not loving Bochamp right now. We talked about that in our summer league breakdown. So I'm not, I'm not hugely downgrading them for that. But there is the, there's the one of like, was he the right pick? And then the second of, could you have used that selection to give you somebody who would actually help you more over these next two to three years, including the year that well, has since passed? Yeah. And, and hilarious, uh, hilarious. Actually, Jalen Williams would look good in a box uniform. But yeah. So here are your next picks after Bochamp at 24. Blake Wesley, Wendell Moore, Nikola Jovic, Patrick Baldwin Jr., Ty Ty Washington, Peyton Watson. Okay, like he'd be nice to have in their system, but I don't know if they develop as well as Denver does and he averaged 3.3 points a game. These guys are trying to win right now. Uh, Andrew Nembhart, Caleb Houston, Christian Coloco, Jalen Williams. Hilariously, of that next 10 picks, the two guys that I liked the least at the time, Jalen Williams and Andrew Nembhart, actually have turned out the best <laughs> and either yes. of those guys actually could have really helped the, the Bucs. But again, when only two of the next 10 guys can you say are like clearly better than the guy they took at 24 i you can't really slam that pick that much there just wasn't much there at the time i I guess you know max christie would be another one but like you know now you're getting in the mid second round it's just Jaden hardy it is kind of interesting though that like nemhart Jalen williams max christie Jaden hardy you'd probably rather have those guys than anyone else taken in that 25 to 37 range yep um so yeah i I think you know i thought this was a d at the time i just didn't love the re-up with portis even if that that and Connaughton had kind of already been, you know, that was the price for previous re-ups uh, when they had brought those guys in. They needed to build up bird rights on him. Uh, and Portis at least does serve a function of providing them with some matching salary going out of them. They have some others at this point. And Ingles, I don't know if they could have really done any better with the tax mid-level. We were saying go for TJ Warren there. He he was a, a guy who ha- had some moments with Brooklyn, but then really fell off, wasn't able to help the Suns at all in the playoffs and doesn't have a job this year. So Ingles does have a job. So that, that was incorrect to say they should have gone after Warren. Although I think Warren, the theory of him was better, but the reality was not. And we didn't know, I think, that Warren wasn't like quite ready to start the season either. So I think ultimately I just kind of end up, I mean, is it possible that I might even like move this up a little bit? I did. I went from a D minus to a D plus. And yeah, I, may, I, I, I maybe should go in the C range, but I'm just still, I still am a little queasy about the, like the kind of the process of it. Well, and also like the failure, they just didn't, I mean, I guess they brought back Carter. Like he did help them this year. They could have just let him go. Like that helps. And Connaughton, he's still, you know, I don't think that's like a bad deal for him. Although it's you, you were concerned about the age, which I thought was the reason. Like they brought enough guys back. I mean, this is it is some revisionist history. Got in both directions. Like they had the best record in the NBA, but I thought that was a paper tiger. They got really lucky in terms of their performance in close games. And then of course, like they're not as good as they looked during the season. I don't think they're as bad as they looked in losing to the Heat in the first round. But clearly, they didn't win a championship this offseason. Didn't help them towards that goal. So it it's ultimately has to be considered below average. You could say they probably should have been more aggressive in terms of trades uh, and that there were some players out there who did move that could have been helpful. Um, so, yeah, I mean, what? So, they, they all, all they really had to trade at the time was like swap in 28 and pick in 29. Well, and both so and twenty and twenty four. That's right. Yeah, that's a good point. They could have. So you know, could they have got into? Yeah, I mean, I think I think it would have been tough. Like, could they? And then also to find someone like let's say let's use they were going to go after Jeremy Grant, right? Like then, well, Jeremy Grant would not have fit in their salary structure going forward after this year, which also would have been a problem. So uh, yeah, I think maybe there would have been a trade to make. Maybe there's Boyan who's been like white whale for them for like a year now. But I'll I give him a D last time. I'll actually just move it up to a D plus. Well, but it, not, just, it, it was all uninspiring. Not not the first B Bogdanovich that has been a white whale for the Milwaukee Bucks. Ha! 
Yeah, but they, since, maybe they haven't traded for him because they just have PTSD after after that. Yeah. So so does uh, Dante DiVincenzo. Uh, let's go to the team that ended up dispatching the Milwaukee Bucks in the first round. Eventually made the NBA Finals, and that's the Miami Heat. And while the playoffs in like the bizarro Bucks fashion worked out far better for the Heat than their regular season, I don't put a lot of that success at the feet of the 2022 offseason, where the biggest things that they did, honestly, were letting P.J. Tucker go and then eventually giving Oladipo a second-year player option, which, I mean, yeah, unfortunate luck that he got hurt late in the playoffs, they eventually, and they, they got off him pretty light. So they did that to save money, and then they gave Tyler Hero a four-year, $120 million extension, which didn't affect their hard cap concerns in the immediate, but did, you know, that was a factor in their overall books and the some of the frustration that I've had with their 2023 offseason, which is connected in that way. And so for Miami, they... You know, so they lost P.J. Tucker. They functionally didn't really replace him, though they did retain Caleb Martin. It's a two plus one, so two fully guaranteed years and a player option at below 10 million a year, three for 20. And um, and then the aforementioned Victor Oladipo contract. So can I elaborate on, on Martin? A, of course. Because that, that was very fascinating in a number of ways. We ding them for losing P.J. Tucker. And just to start there, recall that the most they could have given Tucker over three years, and he couldn't go more than that because the over 38 rule, used his non-bird rights which would not have hard capped them was i think it was three years 25 million and i don't know if they would have given the player option or what either they could have matched the three years 33 million from the sixers but they didn't want to go that route in part because they didn't want to get hard capped the other thing is had they gone that route and because to go to the three years 33 they couldn't use their non-bird rights they would have had to use the full mid-level had they gone that route they also not only would they have been hard capped but they also would not have had the scratch to re-sign K Caleb Martin because they didn't have any bird rights on him. They ended up giving him the most that they could under the tax mid-level. So they didn't get hard cap there. And, you know, then they brought back Oladipo as well, which was, you know, that was not great, but he, he had played okay for them. That was probably another kind of wink-wink consequence uh, with him coming over and then getting hurt and, and all that. So in the end, you'd rather have Caleb Martin, certainly on the contract he has, than P.J. Tucker. That almost certainly would have been an either-or proposition. And they ended up making the right call there, particularly considering how good Caleb Martin was for them in the playoffs. So they missed P.J. Tucker. They didn't have a great stretch for it, but they found enough there in the playoffs and Martin was was so big for them there. So that whole thing, it's just important to remember what their options were and, and what the calculations they had to make were. And they didn't end up making some big trade, which is probably why they really didn't want to get hard cap. But uh, yeah, so that, that that's how that all worked out. You in agreement with me on that that actually was probably the right decision in the end? I am. And I appreciate you bringing in all of that context because the, the decisions that Riley made were, were kind of, they, they were focused on the big swing possibility, which didn't happen, but they also were on, on these other elements and Caleb Martin, yeah, had a very nice year for them and, and figured into their playoff success, of course, had some memorable games, arguably was the Easter Conference Finals MVP, like, and, you know, didn't have always. The I know, actually, Jimmy Butler won it. I know. It's inarguable. Said- <laughs> no, I'm sorry. <laughs> 
Um, and so, so that those are the, that's one of the big elements is kind of like working through all that. And then a the biggest to me is probably the Tower Hero extension. And there are there are kind of two ways of generally looking at extensions that I got at this with the RJ Barrett one is is kind of the second bridges. So one is let's game it out, and if that player went to restricted free agency, would they have got you know you wait that year and you're transferring a lot of risk from player to team, and so you have all that. Would the player have gotten something better, worse, or su- substantially similar? And it's this was a weird offseason, but I think that Hero would have gotten a rich contract. And then the other part of it, you can kind of join these together, is even if we disagree to an extent, is there like is it considered positive or negative value around the league? And you, you know, you always want to kind of bridge those together because sometimes we end up, you know, like if we're differing from the norm, it ends up becoming that way. Like D'Angelo Russell is an interesting example of that, or Russell Westbrook is an interesting counterexample to that, where he was seen as positive value and then was not. So with Hero, I'm still like, I, I'm not thrilled about that contract. I think that, you know, the there this is the first of that batch of yay points shooting guards that we will discuss in this, who all got similar money. But it does seem like it is seen as positive value around the league. Like there's this reporting, which may or may not be accurate, that if Miami gets in the Damian Lord sweepstakes, that they can get like a first round pick, like a credible first round pick for Tyler Hero. So while I don't love the extension and the limited flexibility, and we wonder what he could have gotten restricted for agency, it does seem like it's it's holding up for now reasonably well. Here's another consideration. This will come up with Jordan Poole as well. I said this at the time of Poole. I didn't say it at the time, I believe, with Hero, but they're still trying to make this Damian Lillard deal. And I think most people assume that it's eventually going to happen. There's been some reporting recently that, that from Shams that they're preparing an offer that could be as many as three first-round picks. And I would assume that would include Hero too, or maybe it would be Hero getting traded for something else. And then they, they get the pick there or whatever but uh you know that uh, i think ultimately in the end that would be enough for me as portland to do the deal if i really have nothing else uh but in any event having tyler here on this contract now as opposed to being a restricted free agent makes him tradable in the lillard deal and that's probably more palatable salary for uh, and apparently a positive value salary even though the blazers don't want him they can flip him supposedly uh, or they can get a third team involved that does want hero and when your other options for matching salary are now kyle lowry and duncan robinson Robinson, that's actually that's good that they have him now that they have a decent player who can get flipped uh now that's also put them in a little bit of a concern and they've lost a few guys Struess and vincent because they paid hero and maybe he zero wouldn't have quite gotten as much as a restricted free agent but i think you know they would have saved a few million maybe but i think the value of actually just having him as a contract and by in all indications at least as of now a positive enough value contract that he could be moved that actually helps whereas if they had tried to play hardball and had him as a restricted free agent and then he was also pissed off then you know he wouldn't have necessarily wanted to play ball there and if you try to use him to sign and trade you run into the base year issues and you struggle to match salary to bring back Lillard so that's actually another reason why I think that you know, I don't think that was some great contract but I think it does it was a positive move in the end for that reason and so the funny part of the heat offseason is that while you'd say oh the you're raising the heat offseason grade that's obviously because they like did so well in the playoffs i mean first of all like they nearly didn't make the playoffs and they're like they had a very disappointing regular season but no it's just i mean caleb martin is a factor in that and he had a he had some very very good success there but it's yeah. it's and, not and that's so also much- a great contract moving forward as exactly. well like that's that's gonna be like a stick enough so that he's gonna be a sticking point probably in the lillard negotiation could potentially be and if you could keep him around 
like even if Cale Martin, because you ended up giving him that player option, is going to be getting, he's going to be getting a raise, you know, at some point sooner in the future, at least you have sufficient bird rights and like you can actually make that happen. And if you end up having to include him as a sweeter, you know, if this doesn't be the like, oh, fine, we'll include this player and then you end up giving up less for it. I think Martin helps them. I think he'd be hard to replace in that circumstance, but like that they've they've accrued that. Like that probably isn't where PJ Tucker would be at this point. And so yeah, I I give them significantly more credit on that front than I did before. Yeah, so I had initially given them a D. They lost Tucker. They didn't bring anyone in. We that was as of now. We thought maybe there would be a deal coming, and as it turns out, maybe that deal will be this year. And we didn't have the hero extension at that time. Nikola Jovic, not great, but maybe he's got a chance to be a rotation backup big down the road. And there's no one else as we talked about in that range it was particularly exciting so i went from a, a d up to a b minus in large part due to the martin thing and the the hero signing was fine i went from a d plus to a b minus and i you moved me up from was it a c plus then but i felt better about the you, you walking through the caleb martin pj tucker stuff like that that really did help me kind of go through that process at bet365 we don't do ordinary we believe that every sport should be epic every goal every game every point every play from the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period whatever the sport whatever the moment it's never ordinary at bet365 21 plus only must be present in virginia if you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help call 1-800-GAMBLER terms and conditions apply Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Let's jump to the Indiana Pacers. They had a number of big decisions and swings that they made. I would say the three most important, we can kind of start there, are... Actually, let's do them separately. So I'll put number one as Benedict Matherin. So they had the number six pick. There were a number of players on the board there. And this was a point where, you know, like there were actually like there wasn't a clear cut player there. Matherin had an interesting time at Arizona, but also Shane Sharp, Dyson Daniels, Johnny Davis. I'm not Sohan. I'm not going to say like, oh, they should. this is too far away to say they definitely should have drafted Jalen Williams. Now, if we had scouted Jalen Williams, maybe I would have, but it's... I, I mean, he just was not being talked about in, in that, that range. Like exactly. 12, 12 That's why we didn't scout it. Than, yeah, yeah, right. Exactly. Right. And so so the, you you have to draw you draw the line somewhere. But what I find so interesting is you have Bendik Bathrin, who had this successful year. I actually feel lower on him than I did after last year's Summer League, in part because this year's Summer League and everything else, I'm not, I'm less confident now that he will be able to solve his flaws because, you know, like he, he didn't show a lot of defensive awareness and some of that stuff. And I'm a little less sold in elements of the physical tools, even if parts of it I do like. So I wasn't as aggressive and, and Shane Sharp had a very weird rookie year just in terms of his place on this Blazers team and how you evaluate but, it. But and, you'd rather have Sharp at this point, exactly. right? I would. Yeah. I would. And so and that's I don't know for sure that Sharp's going to have a better career than than Matherin, but I, I think it, Matherin just the, the upside is not quite but as big. But in the as in the probability about. game, you know, like I'd rather the yeah. the 
the outcomes that are available to Sharp, I like better than the outcomes available for Benedict Matherin. But it's not so extreme that it's like, oh, no-brainer, had to do it. But it is the way I would make the choice right now. Yeah, and if Matherin just, he needs to remember how to shoot again. Or maybe he never knew and he just had a hot streak. Um, So, yeah, that that was a big one. What was the next big thing? So, so I I, I think Matherin's a fine pick there. You know, there, there wasn't anyone else until you, like, who's really being talked about in that range other than Sharp that I would have gone for there. I think I still like Mather better than Dyson Daniels and yeah. probably better than Johnny Davis, <laughs> for for example. Uh, probably better. Uh, you know, Jeremy Sohan, again, he wasn't being talked about quite in that. I think there's, well, maybe he was. Maybe that. Sohan, actually, I think would have been his guest. Um, so I probably, I probably would rather have Sohan than Matherin. Again, even though Matherin could have a better career than either Sharp or Sohan. We'll see. Those are just kind of higher upside guys, in my view. But, uh, yeah, what's the next big thing they did? Trading Malcolm Brogdon. So they moved Malcolm Brogdon, who was under contract for a couple of years, to the Boston Celtics for a 23 first rounder that was top 12 protected for one year and then became a second, but Boston had the second best record in the NBA. And so that pick became number 29, which they eventually traded, um, plus Aaron Neesmith, Daniel Tice, and, and salary filler. And... At the time, I said that selling Brogdon now rather than waiting was probably the right call, and I agree with that. I, I think that Brogdon's injury risk, I mean, in some ways, we we ended up seeing that to an extent a year later where the Celtics were going to include him in an iteration of the Chris Dubs Porzingis deal and do in part do an injury that hadn't occurred yet, but you could think about the other stuff too with Brogdon. Yeah, I think, I think the reporting has indicated that's this forearm issue that he had. Yes, it's the forearm, and, and, but Brogdon, you know, injury prone, there was always a possibility that something was going to happen there and you know he got a late first round pick for him and Brogdon not being there allowed you know that kind of in some ways that helped strengthen the Pacers own first round pick you know because he would have given them more of a backstop and there could have been tension with him and Halliburton giving Halliburton the keys yeah was a very yeah. good thing for his development so I I I was broadly on board then I'm more fully on board with that decision now yeah and also they saved some money for both last year and in futures remember that the Celtics had to throw in Nick Stauskas and Juwan Morgan and Malik Fitz just to make the money work which then those guys got stretched in the eight and thing which we'll talk about in a second but yeah I think just moving on from Brogdon particularly because he had three years left at, at that point in time. Like, it is a contract that kind of could have blown up. You're like, oh, he got six man, and they, you know, it ended up being, what did that pick come to being? It was 29, 29 in the end, and then they moved that for the, that uh, worst of the four in 2024 that still could maybe be in the low 20s pick and, and some other second rounders as well. That pick ended up in Denver. But uh, yeah, so I think that was fine. You know, it's, it's like a, a B minus kind of move. Uh, I mean, it really was more about just empowering Halliburton and not having him be next to Brogdon and getting something while they could. And then the last big thing they did was they signed this Aiton offer sheet. Part of that, uh, that actually in the end would have been terrible. Had that, actually, <laughs> like how many, how many of these moves, like this is going back to like uh, the Sean Marks offer sheets for uh, Crab, which they end up trading for anyway, and Tyler Johnson and Otto Porter. Th- these terrible offer sheets that get matched and then you just like breathe a sigh of relief. <laughs> and it's Canner. Now, uh, oh my God. Yeah, that that's, that's really the ultimate one. But it, it ended up being, uh, you know, I think they probably had a pretty good idea it was going to get matched and that was maybe do a favor for Bill Duffy. So, and Miles Turner is just better than DeAndre Aiden and kind of almost always has been. So then what they ended up doing, they didn't do anything else with that space and that left them the ability to renegotiate and extend Miles Turner and get him at two more years of 
very reasonable number as well. And just having him be part of their group for the next two years is very useful, which he wouldn't have been. He was a free agent. And, uh, and, they, and also, yeah. theoretically, not that they should, but they could they could trade him at the you know very easily at this. Sure. That's, that's part of sure. the beauty and, of a renegotiation and extension. Yeah, and getting him on a lower number this year that enables them to pick up Bruce Braun as well, in addition to the fact that they moved on from Brogdon. So the, the management turned out okay. Uh, the, the more likely I think they were in their own minds to retain Aiton, the worse I grade it. But it all turned out okay in the end. Uh, so that that was the other one. I think you know all, all of these moves ended up being like pretty pretty solid. You know, I, what would you grade the Mathard pick on its own? In the B range. Well, I guess that's true. If there, it's if there's a player that I would take over, I, I'd say maybe it has to be in the in the like like C minus range because it's it, it below average. If there's a guy who like does things better that you that you would like, then that's below average. You know, you don't you don't want there to be like a player that you would have taken over him. so you know in the c's somewhere like that but not yeah well as as someone who had Shaden sharp top two and not two on my board as a as a famous point guard once said then i do grade them not taking trick because i was very high on sharp uh but you know i think like bathroom and the higher you are in the draft i think the more harshly you judge for not taking that one guy that turns yes. out to be better whereas you know if it's, if it's number 15 and there was you got the second best guy out of the next seven picks or something that you feel you don't grade that as harshly as if you're at the top of the draft now six is starting to get a little bit lower but you know we don't grade that as harshly as we do you know say brandon miller over scoot henderson this year though again you never know on these but uh so you know matherin is kind of like a c plus pick like he's a good player i I think he's gonna be better than a lot of the guys who went right after him but maybe not better than the one guy who went right after him that i was clamoring to take so uh I, i think if you get the second or third best guy that was in kind of in consideration at at number six that's that's like a c plus the other thing that the pacers did which i feel significantly better about than i did when we did our offseason grades is andrew nemhard i I, nemhard is a fantastic example you know we didn't watch much film of him he came up a little bit in the chet holmgren stuff but then summer league i was not particularly impressed and he had a wonderful rookie year you know the number 130 30 number 31 pick is clearly a rotation player and you know with some development maybe he can be more than that on a better version of the Pacers than they were this past year. And so it is true that the top of the second round looks good overall, but Andrew Dampard is a is a definitely a, a better than average 31 pick and probably better than many of the guys they could have taken that range. And like Kendall Brown had kind of lost year, but again, 48, we're not going to grade that too harshly. One other weird factor that I Yeah, hilariously, I was like, oh, Kendall Brown looked pretty good and didn't like Dampard at all. Okay, but, but like, um, no, they so, got it. They got a clear rotation guy at, at 31 and like a guy who started for them and was he's way better than expected defensively like i think he's a, a good he started the two for them and he was adequate there and then i think he's a very solid backup point card so it's, that was a great pick uh, it their, was that was that was the best pick of really anyone in like you know a 10 pick range probably yeah i would say so and the only other things worth mentioning uh they gave jalen smith three years 15 million and then the players that departed like we wondered about oh well they missed uh well, rubio was started the season hurt but rubio tj warren and, you know, because Warren just signed a one-year minimum with the Nets, maybe they could have done something. Well, TJ Warren didn't do as much as we expected. Rubio had an, you know, Rubio had a challenging year. And we hope, I hope that he's doing the best, doing the best he can with the mental health issues that he is uh, dealing with now, which is, which is unfortunate. And we'll, give, again, give him best wishes and update when we know more about his present and future. So I've up- upgraded, even with feeling a little bit worse about Matherin, I, I've upgraded them from a B plus to an A minus on the strength of Andrew Nemhard. And the retaining the cap space and really getting something with it. As you said, the 
how likely they were to actually how much they expected to actually get Aiton does affect this a little bit. But overall, like a, a basic factor I use, especially for a young team, is do I feel better or about their franchise, like with like the long term direction and giving the keys to Halliburton, getting you know a, you know credible players with their picks at six and thirty one, and not burning their space on on mistake players. Like that's that's very good. So I, I'm upgrading it to an A minus. Yeah, I'm gonna just stick with a B here because I still the most important thing they did to me was only a C plus. So it's it's hard for me to get much above that, uh, even though I kind of liked everything else uh, that they did. I mean, that's of all the things that are gonna really matter. Okay, yeah, maintaining Miles Turner that was a consequence, but maybe not an entirely intended one of what they did last off season. So I, I kind of discount that a little bit for them. And yeah, the Brogdon trade was good, Nembhard is good, but those the bi- most consequential thing that they did for the franchise was taking Mathurin at number six and that was only okay for me it was like slightly above average maybe so I ended up with a B I had been at a B minus initially and that was I was higher on Mathurin at that point than now but some of the other stuff obviously looks a lot better the Pistons did a whole hell of a lot in the 2022 offseason they draft they had the number five pick which for them was a piece of unfortunate lottery luck they had the third worst record in the league and fell to five but you of course grade it based on where they were they took Jaden Ivey I guess let's start there how do you feel about the Jaden Ivey pick a year later yeah I'm not sure how I feel about him versus Matherin still would have preferred Sharp there as well I had Ivy lower on my board than Matherin at the time yeah how do you feel about him versus Matherin kind of about the same maybe Ivy maybe you're feeling he's got a little more upside I, I have I, I have Ivy a little bit over Matherin in part because I get what he is a little bit more and like the idea that right, he right. can still he could still straighten out some of those flaws Ivy you know like I, I can see the like him being a defender and potentially like being the transition offensive like a lot of the theory of Ivy is still on the table even and, and you and I also weren't as big believers in the he can be the engine he could be there like I don't know Mike Conley or like they're they're every down pick and roll guy and so I don't hold him I don't I don't hold him to that standard to have him you know maybe be a little bit worse in that element so I'm you know like a similar kind of process of it's in the in the C range and you know that that's that's fine and then they we talked about this a lot in the Knicks section but the Hornets part of this is much clearer where Hornets Sorry, no, sorry, in the in the uh, Nick section. Apologies. Um, I was oh, the Hornets okay. pick is one of the picks, and Kemba Walker. Okay. Was I, I get. I get well, well should, should I just roll through like uh, how uh, the, the chronology of how it all started? Sure. Well, back uh, about a few years before, uh, Troy Weaver had this connection to uh, Jeremy Grant and Washington. Uh, so the, it seemed like the well, the Blazers made a deal in the 2022 trade deadline, at the 2022 trade deadline, to get this New Orleans pick that if it was out of the lottery would then get transmitted to the hornets and would then result in a top four protected bucks first rounder going to the blazers instead that seemed very unlikely at the time it also seemed like there were discussions between the blazers and the pistons about jeremy grant at that time damian lillard had recruited jeremy grant during team usa in 2021 and there was a feeling to the point that we even did a watfo about it that jeremy grant was going to end up a blazer one way or another. and there was no point in the Pistons trading Jeremy Grant to the Blazers with Damian Lillard out and them tanking in 2022. But it seems like maybe that deal was kind of done 
at the 2022 trade deadline. Unfortunately for Portland, and then perhaps for the Pistons, it almost seemed like that deal was, they're just going to trade whatever that pick was, right? So it turned out to be that 2025 Bucks top four protected first rounder instead of what would have been a late lottery pick in this year's draft that could have maybe enabled them to get Jalen Duran for or from the Blazers going to Detroit. The other thing, though, in the Grant deal was that the Blazers had this huge trade exception in the McCollum deal that just ever so barely fit Jeremy Grant into it. So the deal ended up being Jeremy Grant and number 46, the Blazers, for that 2025 Bucks first rounder. They also got number 36, and I forget exactly what happened to that in the end. Pistons do a lot of stuff with second rounders. And then they also got 2025 and 2025 six second rounders and so they dumped jeremy grant basically for nothing he was making 20 million at the time then they did those two things we talked about with the knicks where they trade that 2025 bucks first to the knicks for 13 and kemba walker they get their guy jalen duran and then they also into the space that jeremy grant had vacated because they could have done the walker deal anyway uh even if they hadn't done the grant deal they take in burks noel and a couple of seconds and some cash so that's that's where we are that's how we got there now that we've unraveled that in five minutes what do you think of all that it it seems fine but not you know like fantastic and and part of it as you mentioned like the pistons were arguably victims of circumstance where the pick they kind of thought they were going to get from the blazers was worse and the part of the sales pitch if we if we ignore that context of what may have already been a version of pre-negotiated because there's there's no obligation to each other we know that and as much as you want to do right by Jeremy Grant, like you don't have to. You you have him under contract. Troy Weaver signed him to that contract and it looked good. So they, you know, the primary thing that they got in the Grant deal in many ways was that that Bucks first and then cap flexibility. And they used that cap flexibility on things that, you know, that didn't make that didn't do a whole a whole hell of a lot for them. And so like that, you know, like Burks helps and they may eventually get a first for him. I don't think they will, but we'll see. And then, you know, Noel didn't, you know, Noel had a largely lost year. So then and like, you know, the overall stuff you ended up with that Bucks first and if we want to combine all of it together, 13, and they use 13 on Jalen Duran. The Duran pick is, I'd say it's totally fine. You know, like I, I'm, you know, center only guys. Yeah, I, I think, think it's better than fine. I mean, it, who, who would you rather have? Over yeah, I guess because the best right player, after? the best player in that range was taken before him. So you can't downgrade them for that. Um, I like him more than Mark Williams. Um, Abaji, yeah, that's still that's still P- TBD. I mean, we'll get to that yeah. in the Charlotte section. Like Mark Williams could be better than him, but Durin could be, could be. And is, and and with Duran, like the the center only guys that don't you know that that don't look like premium rim protectors. Like that's always a it's 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 always a like kind of lower ceiling type of guy for me. That I think some even if they're very good, it's like you run into these these challenges of would they be better closing small and everything else. But yeah, that's not a great part of the draft and you know he's six picks away or whatever from Tari or not six it's like five picks away from Tari Eason who I who I really like but Eason has his own flaws um yeah, but but of that's the only guy you probably would rather have that one in the next in the next until you get yeah. to maybe Walker Kessler at 22 sure. yeah so so yeah totally totally on board with and, with and that's good value too I think to take on 10 million at Kemba Walker and get number 13 for that 2025 bucks pick which okay maybe the bucks will lose Giannis and that pick will take on some value or something but uh it's hard and that's also top four 
were protected anyway. So it doesn't have that much upside. And it was three years away at the time. So that's Duran has a lot of upside. Like he's for 13, he's a good pick. So they got good value and they got a pretty good player at that at that number. So that that I think all all that was pretty good. They kind of they ended up getting their guy in the end, even if they didn't have the most ammo. Another successful piece of business that was not a part of our original offseason grades because it occurred after was the everything involving Bojan Bogdanovic. So they traded a Linux Saban Lee in cash for Bogdanovich from the with the Jazz, then extended him two years, thirty nine million in new money, but only two million of that second year, which is the twenty four twenty five season. So a year away from now is partially guaranteed. So it's you know it's basically one new year, and then the whether it's the Pistons or whatever team has his rights at that point gets the choice of whether to keep Bogdanovich on that money or waive him at a pretty small fee, and that worked out well for them too. I mean, we can have the arguments about whether they should have traded Bogdanovich at the trade deadline or whether they're keeping him. But as a piece of business in and of itself, he helped them more. He could potentially get more of an asset than Kelly Olenek would have. Yeah. And I think they probably have blown it by not trading him. I would imagine that they were first round picks out there for him the way he played for them either this offseason. And maybe that'll still happen. Who knows? Uh, now, one thing that I would say about Grant, I want to go back to that. I think a big part of why the return wasn't that good, maybe part of it was just due to circumstance with that the Blazers not getting as good of a pick a column deal in the end. But I think the other reason is that they wanted to dump Jeremy Grant for nothing into the trade exception. They did not want to take salary back. And I think part of that was they felt like, oh, we could make this deal. I mean, it happened again, but they felt like they could do something with that cap space. That ended up being Burks and Noel. So they still, they could, again, they could have done the Walker deal. And you'd say, well, what about what they got for Grant? They traded. But I think it would have been possible in theory. And again, maybe the deal was just done at the trade deadline, but we don't know that. I think if they'd been willing to take back some money, particularly bad money, that they could have done better than that one bucks pick and you know they got some seconds too i get that uh for jeremy grant and although didn't they did they include those seconds it never does no they included a, a bad one and they got back a, a couple so but but i still think maybe if they'd been willing to take back some more bad money maybe they could have either gotten a better pick or they could have gotten two first and then they would have had the scratch to go get jalen duran anyway and getting burks and noel that was i guess they thought alec burks could help them this year but that that throws in and some the other things like you know the Marvin Bagley for example there's still the overall lack of vision here of like hey we just have this young team with these young guys who have to play like I'm sorry you're going you if Jalen Duran and Jaden Ivey both have to play you're just not going to be good this and so why not just continue to embrace that as it turned out Kate got hurt and they were the worst team in the league but they weren't trying to be the worst team in the league they were no, trying to take a big step forward and even before Kate got hurt yeah he wasn't playing very well because he was hurt probably but you know they weren't they were gonna suck regardless of what happened because they were playing these young guys uh and you know marvin bagley was another one of those uh mb three years 37.5 million Oof. so yeah. it was so all like the overall vision there wasn't amazing but they did enough in isolation where they kind of as this has happened at times with troy weaver they overcame the lack of of vision by just the individual moves doing that. some of them making enough sense that it kind of overwhelmed that in the end yeah, I agree with that as an overall sentiment. And there's the the weird part of this that they, you know, that having that those flaws in vision ended up with the Pist- the Pistons having the worst record in the league. Now they got unfortunate lottery luck in 2023, where they had the worst record and got the absolute worst possible pick by falling all the way to five. And yes, I would feel a lot better about the Pistons feature if they had gotten, you know, like Scoot or obviously Wambadyama if that had been yeah. a possibility. But you don't, you know, and, and but I also don't give the team too much credit for trying to be good 
good and ending up being the worst team in the league, even if Kate Cunningham totally sidetracked their season due to an unforeseeable circumstance. So I, you know, all that sound and fury, I gave the Pistons a B minus at the time, and I'm giving them a B now, but I'm not sold on that either. Yeah, I think I... Ivy is maybe a little bit better than I thought at the time. I, I don't know. We'll see see how much he's able. He's improved in some ways that have been encouraging. I still would have preferred Sharp at that point. I think I kind of feel of the same about those two guys relative to one another right now. I mean, again, like we said with Matherin, I thought that they didn't take the right guy at five. That is the most important thing that they did. Some of the other stuff was okay. It could have maybe got a little bit more for Grant. I think they also just wanted to send Grant somewhere where he wanted to be in, in Portland. That was probably part of it. Troy Weaver and his relationship there and the Bagley thing was just utterly asinine just if they didn't like and even the the Noel and Burks yeah they got some seconds there but I probably also would have, would have just rather like gone into the year with a bunch of money and tried to do something there although the Spurs ended up not doing that either but I I almost would rather just pay all the guys that my team extra than have given out that Bagley contract for example and then they could have had more flexibility this offseason too had that been and, the case. and next offseason yeah yeah that's right uh ah <sighs> Yeah, I think especially because they were trying to, be, but yeah, they got Boyan too. It's just like all some of the stuff that they did, it all kind of meant nothing. And, and because they turn out to be bad, which they weren't trying to be. And so I, I kind of don't give them credit for lucking into being bad. And they had the worst record as well. Like they, they got, I won't say unlucky because they still had a greater than 50% chance of being five, but they were, they had a chance of being higher in the draft and then getting a real piece that mattered. Yeah, I think Asar Thompson was just, you know, Jerry's more out on him with his fit. And sorry, I'm taking it too long on this. I just, I think I, I had a B minus initially. I think I'll probably just move that down to a C plus in the end. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. The Cavs are a fun experiment here because at the time when we did our offseason grades, I gave them a D in part because they didn't use their resources other than drafting Oshai Baji at 14. They didn't use their resources on what I saw as their biggest issues, which were a two and a three who could play and ideally be a part of their closing five. They used their mid-level on Ricky Rubio, who not only was hurt, but was a depth player for them. And like, I largely hold on that grade. Like if, you, if we were grading just on, on that stuff, However, they had a much, much larger swing that happened later, and that was trading Larry Markkinen, the aforementioned Abaji, Colin Sexton through a sign-and-trade, three first-round picks, and two swaps for Mr. Donovan Mitchell. How do we feel about that from Cleveland's perspective now? Man, my feeling is Mitchell's not going to take the extension. And after, If we did this after the regular season, like, hey, these guys have the second-best net rating. I think, it was, was it in the league or in the in East? The league. I can't remember. In the league. In the league. And yeah, they didn't address the three, but and they gave up any possible resources to do that in the Mitchell deal. You know, the Garland-Mitchell fit was... Like, Donovan Mitchell just 
just had a really bad playoffs, but he was unbelievable in the regular season. He was an, he was an All-NBA player. Yeah. And also you think, well, hey, they could retrade him and get some of this stuff back. And if you do, you've got two years of Donovan Mitchell. Like, they're the four seed. Like, that means something to be relevant again for the first time since LeBron James. Like, this was a big step forward. Yes, they have a lot of work to do to be better in the playoffs. Although, I will note that I think the Knicks were kind of a bad matchup for them just with the way they out big balled them, which nobody else was realistically probably going to do with like their rebounding and, and all that stuff. And like the Cavs defense held up. It was just their offense pathetic. Marketing, of course, was not marketing, right? I think if you knew that Lowry marketing could be this guy and, and, and probably would not have been that with them in all no, honesty. No, no, absolutely. I mean, he was, you know, he, he came back for the Finnish national team. Is I can't remember exactly when the trade happened, if that was in the middle of Euro basket or not. But I, I don't think anyone was like, oh, this is going to completely transform Lowry marketing. As it turned out, that was a, a big part of his journey. And it, he's a, a really good player. And he probably actually would have been a great fit next to Evan Mobley on this team long term. If you could just undo that trade right now and give me this market in again, I probably would do that if I were Cleveland. I would rather just have held out a market. But I mean, I when I re-listened to it, it was quite cringeworthy to hear myself talking about like Lowry Market isn't even a starter. So they need to upgrade for from him at the three. They didn't do that. This guy's a starting three. That's crazy. And then of course he becomes an all-star this year. So that's just you can't factor in that like anybody thought he was an all-star. I mean, unless it was Danny Ainge. And I think marketing came into camp and Utah was like, oh shit, like gotta open the spot up for this guy. We gotta move Badanovich. No matter what it takes and uh, that, that was the right move and then it, if there's just some way they could have maintained at least a little bit of something to make another deal for a three and they got some shooting this offseason but you can see they couldn't do that uh you know baji i think was a good pick at number 14 but now he's gone and that makes the trade maybe look worse that he's looking like he might be a starting shooting guard i know you're a little bit lower on him you also could say though that they probably should have gone tari eason at that spot although then he probably would have just ended up he being just would have been trade traded anyway. yeah i mean in um, in, in the full hype hypothetical where marketing becomes marketing and you get Taris and that would be pretty cool. I mean but then would you be playing him at the two but um just because Easton's Easton's one hell of a player um one other thing I'll factor I'll add in is like the same th- threshold with Darius Garland you know five-year max did not get the super max because he didn't make an all-nba team yeah I think yeah. he would have I think he would have gotten he would have gotten the full 25 percent as an offer sheet probably a three plus one and I I'm yeah. a big Darius Garland fan I think that having him on a five-year deal is better than the three plus one so I'm well and certainly like their first all-star that they drafted since lebron basically right mm-hmm. or i guess yes. Kyrie. uh but yeah. yeah and to get him on a five-year deal no options like that yeah. that's and totally then, fine and then dean wade had such a frustrating bizarre year got injured and like lost the ability to shoot but i still think three years 18.5 million is a reasonable contract for a guy who could potentially be in the rotation even if last year was bizarrely worse so i ended up moving it's you don't even call it moving up because it's a fundamentally different offseason grade than it was before i ended up giving the Cavs a b but i think i'm like mitchell was so good for them in the regular season last year and yes he had these flaws in the playoffs and part of it is that they can recoup it part of it is that he has elevated their state standing relative to other teams which potentially could make them interesting though will does that become relevant in any way because if they if mitchell first of all mitchell could stick around which would be which would be good for them and if he leaves you could hopefully get something on the way out even if it's not going to be three firsts and two swaps and and players as good as Markin and nabaji but you also got two years of donovan mitchell at in that if that's the if we're calling that the realistic worst case scenario like 
I think like why I'm in the B range rather than like the A range or the C range is that I think you take that and it could be better. Of course, that's like that's I said, the realistic worst case scenario from where we are now. Yeah, the other thing I'll add too is I was kind of crapping on them for not paying Colin Sexton. And in the end, that actually worked out great because then they were able to include him in the sign and trade mm-hmm. for Mitchell. Uh, you know, the reports were that they're offering him like three for 40, ended up getting four for 72 from Utah. And yeah, I think it's just take some Listerine, wash that taste of the playoffs out of your mouth and try to be a little bit more objective of the whole thing. If you did this at the end of the regular season and hey, you know what? Like, I don't think this Cleveland Cavaliers nucleus is like a championship contender. Like if they're just going to win 50 games, we, I think we kind of talked about this even when they made the trade, like given where they've been as a franchise, if they just want to win 50 games for like four years in a row, like that's pretty good. Like that means something. Maybe that's you're kind of trading for what Utah was and Danny Ainge broke them up, but that's given how terrible the Cleveland Cavaliers have been uh and would they be in better shape if they had held on to marketing and all these picks like yeah they probably would but again as you noted Larry marketing would not be the same guy and they you know Colin Sexton I don't know if they would have had him back he had kind of a loss year in Utah coming off the turn ACL so I think it, it's just it's really hard when you look at the assets right now and they I, you agree with me that they lost the trade I think the Jazz won it more than the Cavs lost it. But from Cleveland's perspective, I, you know, unless we're pricing in full marketing, I think you still you still do it. Because remember, there's a distinct chance that Donovan Mitchell stays or that you get a lot for him in a trade. Because remember, the team that theoretically, if let's say, let's say they trade Mitchell a year from now, the team that gets him is also getting his bird rights. And I think we'll pay a premium for that. And hilariously, it might be the Knicks, which would be the funniest thing in the world. It's also kind of funny that, you know, just Mitchell, he is kind of a hard fit and you see that with him and garland together sure. in the playoffs but yeah so really kind of your your ultimate opinion of this is just what does it mean to be a solid 51 team that probably is not going to make a conference finals in this era versus where they were before and and i mean it seems like the ownership liked it like i think uh, kobe altman got an extension and stuff so yeah i guess i guess i'll go back to like a b ultimately yeah that's where i give them a too. c minus initially well but that was on a different offseason right no no i I just wanted to get it out there for the record. Sure. All right. We don't need to spend nearly as much time on what was a rather perfunctory offseason for the Chicago Bulls. The biggest thing that the Bulls did was re-sign Mr. Zach Levine, five years, four plus one, uh, $215 million. That was the maximum allowable. Um, that looks a little worse now. He's been dealing with injuries, but remember he had a better but, second wait, half. Wait, wait, hold on. Does it? Why, why does it look well, worse Well, just, I, I was saying at times, because remember that really rough first half of the year he had. But now it looks, yeah, but I think, like, Zach he, Levine looks he, like Zach I, yeah, I mean, he was coming off the surgery at the time. Yeah. I feel better about him now than I did at the time this was signed. And that's still a, that is a deal that is tradable for positive value. They made the correct decision to me to bring him back on that deal. Dude, it, I, that's inarguable, Danny, inarguable. It's not, it's not inarguable, but it is it is the right the right path. And, and the other part of this, I wrote a whole piece of The Athletic at the deadline with them, is that remember that they also owed their first round pick to the Orlando Magic. So the, you know, there's, there's this alternate idea of with him and Rosen and Vooch of like, well, if you tore it all down, what would you get? And one of the things they wouldn't get in all likelihood was their draft pick. Like, you know, they wouldn't get the draft equity. They would just get what they got for those guys in trades. And I agree with you with with, uh, with Levine. And Levine, unlike his compatriot Bradley Beal, does not have a no trade clause. So like they can, if you can find it now, do I trust Arturis, this ownership group 
in this front office to move Levine at the right time? Hell no. But you still made the right move from a process perspective there. Um, they did not extend Kobe White. He ended up signing a, you know, kind of a reasonable deal. I think he signed a deal that was similar to what they would have given him in an extension, actually. Um, and then Chicago had the 18th pick. They drafted Dalen Terry out of Arizona, and he's in that range where like n- none of the immediate guys really move you, though Christian Brown ended up playing a rotation role on the eventual NBA champions. But they're close enough to Walker Kessler where you go, oh, that would have been really good for them because the Chicago Bulls, even if they think it's Vooch, they need a center of the future. And Walker Kessler would be their center of the present. Yeah, and Tari Eason went a pick above them, obviously. I think even Malachi Branham would have been interesting there as well. Uh, and Terry, I we talked about him in summerly. I think I said he was 17, obviously. He was 18. But and one of the concerns at the time when he was picked was that he's redundant with some of these other guys they have like Tasunmo and Alex Caruso and of course he's young enough but he, he actually came out after his sophomore year and just hasn't really shown anything yet to be part of their plans and that's just that's got to be a disappointment as well so I think you got to grade that pick negatively Levine coming back I mean that's sort of the Derek Gear outcome, like I said, is a perfunctory offseason. I don't give them like a ton of credit for bringing him back. I mean, they offered him the largest possible amount that they could, and he took it. It's not, it's not exactly uh, you know some genius level of work there. And and, and like Bradley season, Beal, yeah. he didn't really have that great of other options. No, no, I, I, I but I also don't I, downgrade them. I didn't. I don't think negotiating harder would have gotten them much in that deal. Levine had like teams would have been interested in him if they like kind of if they fumbled it. Let's say the way the Hornets did with. Kemba years. Yeah. And Andre Drummond actually helped them at times for a little bit above the minimum. Derek Jones Jr. got the same deal. Now, of course, they did cheap out and not use the mid-level. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that that's that's part of it as well. Maybe they could have gotten someone who would have helped them a, a little bit more there. But it's worth remembering that they needed Patrick Williams to start and play. And the biggest thing they would have needed is a stretch four, but they wanted to develop him. There's talk that maybe they could have gotten, like, paid a little bit more for Daniel Gallinari, who they're supposed to be on. Well, he immediately got injured. Would have helped them if healthy, but he, of course, wasn't. So I don't know that I killed them too much for not using the mid-level because there really wasn't anyone who helped them that much there. So I would say... You know, Terry and, and Levine is basically what you're judging on here. And maybe you could say they should have gone after a point guard more because they should have known Lonzo just wasn't going to be back. But I'm, the point guard market wasn't particularly robust there either in the range of the mid-level they had to spend. They ended up bringing in Dragic, which didn't really work. He ended up on the Bucks. Well, and they also yeah, let I think Troy Brown is... Jr. go, and Troy Brown helped the Lakers more than some of the minimum yeah. guys did. Yeah, I'll just go with the D-plus because like Terry is it hasn't looked great. I had been a C-minus initially. I went with a C minus now, and that I gave them a B originally, and have moved it down. Um, oh. And and so I, I regret that. I regret that B. And, that, and like that's interesting funny. to me. What what? So that was what was the B based on? What did they do? There? Levine. Like, okay. That, that, that's and, so and, interesting to me that you you feel worse about Levine now than I don't did, feel. Wor- I, I don't feel I, worse about it. I don't feel worse about it now. I think that I I made that a bigger part of the off season, whereas like I think that now it seemed inevitable. Like whereas at the time it did. You know, at the time it was like, oh well, they could have just not brought him back and now i'm like well what would they have done then <laughs> and so so like basically it it is a smaller part of my grade because i see it as less discretionary now whereas the 18 you know it, it's always discretionary because you could always do anything all right let's do one more here and then we'll probably wrap it here and then we can do the other teams and news next time we record especially because the brooklyn nets is probably that'll probably be like a half hour segment on its own <laughs> jesus Christ. and uh because we are on a nine hour time difference the baby needs to go to bed in this room that i am recording in in uh, 11 minutes. So, 
The Charlotte Hornets, They we talked already about the deal that they made with 13. They had 13 and 15. They ended up making that deal for what ended up being number 27 this year and became Nick Smith Jr. to get that the Nuggets pick. I mean, it's pretty obvious that the Nuggets pick was going to be well into the 20s. And then they got the four seconds as well. Yeah, and, and also, Those, wait, quick, yeah. quick note, the Nuggets pick was also lotto projected for three years. So even if you thought yeah. there was like, oh, we could seek something, there was no high-end upside to it. So like there was zero chance it was going to become a lottery pick, which you were trading for it. Yes, and it was further out. And then they got these four seconds, and then they kind of had too many seconds this year, so they had to overpay 34 and 39 and move up to 31 and select James Najee in this second round. Uh, and then, and I think they used one of those seconds to move up from 45 to get Bryce McGowan's in the 2022 draft. And I think their feeling was, in addition to the fact that they must have probably liked Mark Williams better than Jalen Duran, I think I'd rather have Duran, but I also, you know, that's kind of like a 60-40 thing. I do think Mark Williams has some potential. He's just a little bit older, and Duran is going to be way better offensively, but Williams might have more defense potential. We'll see on that one. But there probably also was a feeling, because remember where they were, right? This was, they'd fired James Borrego. We'll get to that part of it. And the reason they fired him was they wanted to take the next step. They just lost. They've been the 10th seed. They've lost twice early. They won 43 games. They're, they wanted to take the next step. They to like get get into being a solid playoff team and so they probably were like well we we got to push this into the future because we can't have these two lottery picks on our or, or 13 and 15 on our roster right now and of course uh you know duran would have been nice to having tari eason would have been a great fit with this and, group and, as well and they I, just and i yeah. will note i don't think they could have used 13 and 15 to get high enough to really make a difference like they couldn't have gotten to seven and you know i would have no. liked i would have liked you know jeremy sohan or well i mean i guess they could have moved up to get jalen williams presumably because all they would have had to do is go up like two three spots well probably not because the uh, if it was the thunder who had that they don't they didn't want to yeah it would have been too much to move up in theory not knowing who the players were but also the thunder didn't want more picks and more roster spots well no what i'm saying is like maybe you could maybe you could have given up 13 and 15 to get 10 or 9. Oh, yeah. Okay. If that, oh, and you would have gotten Jalen Williams. Yeah, maybe. So, uh, they could have got Johnny Davis too. That would have been a very Hornets move. So, uh, but if only he'd gone to school in North Carolina, yeah. it seems like he, he no, it's more have. of a Wizards move than a Hornets move, but it's also plausible as a Hornets move. Uh, so anyway, though, that was bad value, I think, trading 13 for what ended up being 27 and some seconds. Like, no, no team would do that. Uh, and particularly because they didn't, I mean, that just shows you what having a billion seconds does for you. And second rounders are just, been like thrown around like candy at the trade deadline recently so yeah that that and, was and bad not, i mean and yeah. i want to add something not only trade around like candy at the trade deadline on draft night like this is the second year in a row that we've seen a team give up multiple picks in the 30s for another pick in the 30s yeah so i mean they could have had ochai abaji and mark williams if they really liked mark williams they could have had mark williams and tari eason they there were definitely some pretty good outcomes here so that that was bad uh you know bryce mcgowan's at 40 hasn't really developed that much yet that would come that is a neutral then they re-signed cody martin he immediately got injured had a lost year he's a on a four-year deal at eight million a year last year non-guaranteed and i'm still fine with that by the way yeah no that, that's that's totally fine they couldn't have known he was going to get injured and maybe he'll be back this year and i think he's a, a fine player at that money even though it looks weird for him to have gotten a little more per year than his brother who's better than him now and then there was the miles bridges thing i think to be fair to them a lot of what they were doing including like not signing guys was based on potentially having to navigate the financial situation of miles bridges getting near a max and of course and with so much of free agency being done when it comes out and i think it was june 29th that, that uh the 
horrific stuff that he did that really kind of screwed up their offseason. I think ultimately they handled that as well as they could have. Yeah, I I, I just uh, didn't consider but, it at yeah. all for my grade, but it's fair to yeah. say that they handled it well. Because also it seems like a part of it was out of their hands in terms of the offer sheet, qualifying offer, all that type of stuff. And then we get to the coaching stuff. Yes, where they fired James Borrego, agreed to hire Kenny Atkinson, and then that fell through, and they hired Steve Clifford, which I refer. I said that losing out in my little write-up, I said that losing out on Atkinson and Mike D'Antoni definitely says something about the Hornets' organizational health. Clifford well, and, help. and so does the fact that Clifford only got two years as a, on his coaching contract, which is something Correct. that Jake Fisher reported this offseason. Correct, and we didn't know that at the time. Um, but so yeah, that 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 was, but that's more of a like a dead canary in a coal mine rather than like the it wasn't a bad move in and of itself it was a signal of greater problems like those are always hard to evaluate in a thing like this um well and the, uh, reportedly they also lost atkinson over maybe just being too cheap on assistance or something like that that too or maybe they only offered him two guaranteed years and that's why he bailed out uh, so uh, i mean what, firing borrego you know like i think it seemed like he they kind of had to move on from him clifford actually like coached them pretty well given who was I available agree. last year and and the idea that it's not as long term commitment. I mean, I don't know that the Hornets will be a desirable coaching locale in 2024, though they will have new ownership and presumably a new front office at that point. Though who the hell knows? Because they're still the Hornets. Um, so I gave them a D at the time, largely not including the Bridges situation, which I'm still largely not including. I'm more pissed off about dumping 13 now than I was then, and I was pissed off. You, you know how I oh, yeah. hate teams trading lottery picks, and you listen to the podcast, so I'm sure you heard me rant about that for a good five minutes or so. Um. <laughs> <laughs> and so and like Mark Williams is an interesting player. I would have I would rather have Tari Eason knowing what we know right now, especially because for me, centers, centers that aren't top like eight are more dime a dozen and wings are wings are more valuable. Um, even with, you know, and, and the other weird thing that I don't know how to factor this into the grades is PJ Washington. They didn't sign him to an extension, but we can't compare that to anything else because he's still lingering out there as we record this on August 6th. Yeah, well, and it doesn't seem like he's going to be happy to go back there, whatever they, they end up agreeing <laughs> no. to. And it may, may well be the qualifying offer in the end. But I think they at least they at least avoided overpaying him. Sure. I'd probably give it some, some credit there, although their books are quite open at the moment. But if they had ended up, I mean, all so much of their planning indicated it was based on, I'm going to pay Miles Bridges, of course, that, that changed. Yeah, I think I, I end up here with a D. I, I guess what's keeping them above a D minus, though? That's I give, them enough, <laughs> I give them enough plus. I'm still pissed yeah. off. I guess I guess I got to go D minus there. Yeah, I mean, because the biggest thing I mean, they did was just trade away thirteen. They traded they traded they thirteen for twenty seven. Like that's heinous. And they traded thirteen for the twenty seventh pick that had a zero percent chance of being a better pick than the pick they used. And like and and maybe that was a you know an evaluation of the two drafts. Well, there were there were good guys available at thirteen or at thirteen there. And the you know like even if the pick had been like twenty or something, I don't think there would have been you know in that range. Like it's not like that would it's not like that was the correct estimation of these two drafts relative to each other. All right. Well, that will do it for this section. We still got a, a few teams left. Uh, of course, the Brooklyn Nets, the, the biggest of those Celtics, Hawks. That'll be an interesting one too. Celtics be an interesting one as well. So, uh, and then we got so, some news that's piled up, including the AD extension that we got to talk about uh, next time. But if you are not a subscriber, I encourage you to join up uh, and you'll get uh, this. And then, of course, uh, our discussion of the Western conference which will be rather interesting as well we'll talk to y'all soon at bet 365 we don't do ordinary we believe that every sport should be epic every goal every game every point every play from the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar 
Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.